This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There's a prolific form of cybercrime that costs billions of dollars a year, and many might not have heard of it. While ransomware dominates the headlines, business email compromise attacks are quietly doing a lot of financial damage. So what are they? How do they work? And how can they be stopped? I'm Danny Palmer. This is DeadNet Security Update. And with me to discuss BEC attacks is Ronnie Tokazowski, Principal Threat Advisor at Cofence. Thanks for joining me, Ronnie. So yep. first of all, what is a business email compromise attack and um, what sort of damage do they do? Because as mentioned, they, they, the FBI says they have cost billions a year, but they seem to fly under the radar on, on most sort of threat reports and discussions of cybercrime. Yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, go into the definition of business email compromise. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, so when it comes to tracking and defining business email compromise, there's a lot of confusion. And even within our own industry, a lot of people don't understand the full scope of how this truly works. So when most people think of business email compromise, they usually, the first thing they think of is they think of a phishing email, usually a spoofed email going from someone outside the company pretending to be the CEO, sending to some person who has financial authority within the company. And they'll use, the script of the email will usually be something like, hey, I need you to do this wire transfer for me, or I need you to go and do this urgent task. Those are just a couple of your top headlines. Um, but once you start digging and going deeper into understanding the BEC ecosystem, um, that's when it gets a lot darker. So a lot of people, when they track business email compromise, like I said, it's usually just that email piece that most people see. But when it comes to actually doing the laundering of the money and taking that wire transfer and processing that money, um, one of the underlying one of the underlying pieces that most people fail to realize is romance scams are directly related to this. And the way that that angle works is that people will be socially engineered into wiring money on behalf of the scammers, but think they're actually doing it for a spouse or some significant other um, in return for love and affection. And when you go and look at it from that perspective, and when you start looking at other crimes that your actors are doing, um, it quickly balloons from there to include other things like check fraud, unemployment fraud, small business application fraud, um, and seriously, like two dozen other crimes. So like, you nailed it. It's one of those things where ransomware gets the headlines at $21 billion potentially being lost. But here on the BEC side, we're like, hey, there's $500 billion that went out, and we can tie that back to every dollar to a victim on that. So it's something where people just don't realize how big it really is. So you've touched upon it there. So how do these attacks uh, start out uh, when it comes to uh, launching business email compromise attacks? So obviously, it says in the name, email is a, a significant part of that, but there's going to be other forms of communication involved, uh, I'm sure. I think the text message, messaging apps, social media, uh, dating sites, uh, uh, as you mentioned. Yeah, so the attack, there, so there's several ways the attacks can be carried out. And the only limitation to a lot of these attacks are the creativity of the actor who's doing it. So for example, the one primary way that we see it, like I said, the dictionary definition of BEC is just that. Someone pretends to be a CEO in authority, says, hey, can you go and do this wire transfer for me? And most of the time that correspondence happens over email. Um, the actors figure out that they had that they could also go for other ways other than just a wire transfer, because banks and financial institutions are now starting to get behind this and understand how this stuff works. So another attack vector 
sector has been gift cards as well. And usually the way that those play out is that you will have, again, same person in authority trying to say, hey, we're going to do this special gift for the employees for Christmas time or use some holiday or some special bonus to say, hey, I need you to go run this urgent task for me. Go pick up $500 with the gift cards and then take the picture and send them over to me. That conversation happens over email as well. However, some of the actors have figured out that they can start texting the victims back and forth, and they seem to have a, have a higher success rate in doing that. And when you start texting your victims, that bypasses all email gateways and all security protocols and everything, and it's, it becomes very difficult to actually catch that because no one's looking in that, in that regard. Another way that the actors um, use business email compromise is also on the real estate side, where, you'll, where out there you'll see a lot of instances where they will be doing invoice fraud. And they'll use those same romance victims that they use for business email compromise to accept invoices, checks, or payments from some other vendor. And once they have that, um, the real estate transaction going through, some of the actors will use, um, will play man in the mailbox and stay in that inbox and wait for those transactions to go through. Um, so those are just a couple of the ways, like I said, I can keep rambling on how they keep on how other ways that they do it. But those are a lot of top ones that we see with how this stuff actually works and which is what most which is what most victims and organizations would see. And these attacks can be quite uh, sophisticated for want of a better term because in some cases they are just uh, initial, an initial email saying hey I am your CEO transfer some money over but there have been cases of uh, various cases I've seen over the years where attackers seem to have sat in the inbox of an organization perhaps having compromised multiple different people within the company they wait for the right moment when a legitimate uh, deal is being done then that's when they take over and they are the ones that send their financial details over and I suppose the, the benefit for the attackers in this case is they're only going to uh, no one's going to know that no, people are going to only suspect it when one of the parties go, hey, why haven't you paid up yet? And the other one goes, I've paid, haven't you received it? And all the while the attackers walked away with hundreds of thousands or, or, or millions of dollars even. Yeah, and those, those attacks are some of the hardest ones to capture. And the reason is every single training exercise that you, you go and review online, every single one will tell you, look for trusted relationships, wait for cold call emails, don't respond back to a cold text message from an unknown number. But none of them actually cover in depth the fact that these actors have figured out, hey, I can compromise this, this inbox, I can set up an email forward rule and slurp all this information coming down to a completely another email box. And then once I have that information, once the purchase order goes through, I can reply back from here and the entire thread is still there. So your act, the actors figured that out and everything, and to your victim, it's becoming extremely hard to actually detect a lot of these things. And that's what's scary about business email compromise is that when it comes to doing all this stuff, the sophistication just keeps going up and up. Um, and like with a lot of those compromises, a lot of them happening from um, account takeovers or from actors using phishing kits. And that's another area where, the, where a lot of the BTC actors dabble in is they will go and dabble in the credential phishing in order to get those accounts and once they compromise accounts, that's what they'll do is they'll set up shop, set up email forward rules in order to do that. The dangerous thing with that is that, again, you if you look at any literature right now, every single literature will say, reset your email account password, you'll be fine. The problem with that is when that email forward rule is set up, that's persistence or something where that your actor will continue staying in that account and continue being able to slip those emails. So you can go and reset your account 50 times. You can add two factor after the account was so compromised. 
but the actors are still getting your information. So it's something where like with that email forward role, it's important to know that there's other ways that they set up that persistence in order to continue stealing all your intellectual property and using you as a gateway in order to commit fraud against somebody else. Well, this has been an issue for a number of years now, but the events the last two years, 18 months have been sort of a a good chance for threat actors in this space to do do their do their work because you know, a lot more people are doing things over email now. There's you don't really have the option of you know talking to your colleagues in in the office. Like maybe in the past you could say, "Oh, hey, did you send me this?" While nowadays everyone is remote or a lot of people are still remote and there's that extra tricky element there as well because it's much more difficult to actually get that uh the second voice saying hey yes this is me or wait stop that definitely isn't me uh, report this in and in addition to that some actors have gotten to the point where when they go and use that signature body even if you were to pick up the phone and say, hey, Sam, was this you who sent me that email? That phone number will be completely different. So even if you call that number, that's going to go to the scammers. That's not going to be the original number for whoever you're talking to. So in cases like that, it's easier to just pick up the phone and don't use that phone number in the bottom number, like use a legit, use the number that you previously known. Um, I had one instance where it was a real estate scam and they had filled out the document. Um, they wrote everything by hand. And there were two pieces of information that from everything I saw that, that somebody who was aware could have picked up on it. Number one, the uh, domain that they had used for the email account was .co instead of .com. And then the second piece was when you look up the phone number, the last digit was slightly different. So the last digit had been changed. But when the scammers are getting that good at changing a lot of these things and making it to where it's that hard to see, it's really becoming a mess that, not again, not enough people are really talking about how this stuff works. So when it comes to the attackers actually cashing out the money they've stolen, how does that work? Because you possibly think that you know, hiding hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars might be quite difficult. But as you've suggested earlier, there are ways in which they can sort of launder that essentially in order to uh, lose the trail and 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 you know, eventually you know cash it out for themselves. And and that and that's what they do is they know that we're trying to catch them, so they will go and launch push it through different money laundering networks. So I had one instance. This is going back probably two years at this point. Or I had it was one instance where the company was compromised through VEC. They were told to go ahead and send the email um, and send a check as an invoice to a to a person down here. So that check got sent to a vendor who to a work from home victim. That work from home victim sent that to a romance victim. Romance victim was told to cash it and deposit the check as um, Bitcoin. Um, but he couldn't because the Bitcoin ATM was too far from him. So he deposited right into a bank account and then had to send uh, $15,000 cash to in a FedEx box to another state and everything. And each single time that crossed a different state. So that's one way that they will launder the money is they will use multiple hops in order to do that. The problem with doing that and the benefit to them is when you go and look at a lot of the criminal prosecutions that happen here in the United States, there is somewhat of a, of a soft limit of $100,000 of fraud or more so that most of these crimes that are being used, you have to be able to commit that, type, that amount of fraud and everything in order to have it be seen. And when you have an instance of $15,000 cash, that no longer becomes federal. And it's something where a lot of people, or that is federal, 
but it's something where those since those limits are raised so much higher, it becomes tracking a lot of that underlying ecosystem that's being used to move the money back and forth. Um, another method that they're at, that they're using is they'll also use uh, Bitcoin as well. So in the case where they were using the um, the gift cards, they'll go ahead and use different cryptocurrency exchanges to convert that gift card over to Bitcoin. And in the cases like that on the tracking side, it's something where I'll, it's very easy and quick to do that. So within minutes, that the actor has the information as bit, uh, in their wallet as Bitcoin, whereas other ways of stuff, it's something where it becomes, again, much more difficult for them to move that stuff back and forth. So when it comes to the romance scam part of BEC attacks, how, how does that work exactly? Because it sounds like it's another element which is possibly quite a lot of work for the attackers, and they're obviously drawing uh, an innocent victim uh, into into it as well. So how does how does this actually work, and how are they able to uh, carry out these uh, you know, these part this part of the campaign without arousing any suspicion from uh, any authorities or indeed the victim themselves? When it comes to tracking uh, romance scams, it was one of those things where I was not prepared for what I was about to see in a lot of the way that this works. So one of the prime demographics that we've observed is people who are single, divorced, or widowed um, tend to be the ones that fall hardest for a lot of these crimes. Um, it's something where that's not the only demographic that falls victim for romance scams, but that's the main one based on the IC3 statistics that we've seen across the board. Um, the way it works is someone will usually make a dating profile or they might open up an account on Facebook and try and find love in order to go ahead and find somebody to engage back and forth with. So what they'll do is usually someone will go, the actors will create a fake profile. They'll have everything, including the name of the person that they're going to be using. They have the text and the bodies of emails and the bodies of messages that are ready to go for the to send back and forth to the victims, they will have videos, content, and every and the profiles created so that when they go and start engaging back and forth with the victim, um, they can send they can send everything they need to to the victim. The way it usually plays out is just like most relationships. Hey, how are you? Doing good, love you, so on and so forth. And the relationship goes bounces back and forth. Initially, it usually starts out with testing the romance victim to do some small task. Usually it might be something like, hey, I need this gift card. Can you go ahead and pay this for me? Or can you do this over here? Which might include casting a check. And to your victim, they really don't see it as being bad because I've been in this relationship with this person for six weeks. Of course, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I've got feelings for this person. And we've been, mess we've been messaging and texting all back and forth and stuff and whatnot. So the feelings and the emotions that a lot of these romance victims go through are the exact same emotions and feelings that anybody goes through in a relationship. What really sucks for a lot of these victims, though, is that when you go in law, when law enforcement approaches these victims, the victim now becomes defensive because it's something where you're like, wait, that entire reality and that entire person that I've been dating turns out to be fake and everything. And they're like, in their mind, it just doesn't make sense. And when you have a somebody in law enforcement, like constantly saying, oh, what you're doing is fraud, what you're doing is a crime, this is bad stuff, you need to stop doing that, your victim kind of starts putting up those blockers and it becomes very hard for those victims to, to realize it. Um, and the only analogy I could think of to kind of articulate that sense is with a lot of your romance victims, it's sort of like taking a chunk of, of reality out of their brain and be like, hey, that chunk that, you, that you're that you now seeing and everything, that relationship that you had, those 
that year that you were into that relationship and everything is false and everything. So now that person has to question, okay, if that was false and if that was fake, what else was going on? What else was being, was I falling victim to? And it becomes a very much a personal struggle within the person in order to continue going through that. Um, and then in addition to that, cause I kind of mentioned some of the darker stuff, like early before the call and stuff and whatnot. But one of the things that we also see is a lot of the scammers, in order to continue engaging with their romance victims, they will literally use voodoo or juju, as they say, as it's labeled in Nigeria, against the victims. So what they can do is they can bring um, money to their native doctor and they can bring like a picture of the person, do some ritual in order to continue extracting more money from that from them. And it's like I said, specifically called a money ritual. And there's different levels that people can do in order to continue stealing more money. But one of the rituals that they can do, um, they're known as Yahoo Boys on the ground. But one of the rituals they could do in order to become a Yahoo Boy Plus includes a human sacrifice. So it's something where they can use that to become a better scammer. Um, again, there's a lot of other crazy stuff on the romance side, but that's that's kind of the highlights of how a lot of that works. You mentioned there that there, there is a reputation of you know, a lot of these uh, scammers working out of Nigeria. I mean, they, there's evidently people you know in this uh, one of better term business uh, throughout the entire world. But it it, it seems that you know, if you read various research reports, that Nigeria is uh, one of the key uh, areas where where, uh, where 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 this happens. So, I suppose uh, two questions here: so who who are these people behind these? Uh, uh, campaigns and uh, why is it such a uh, prolific thing in, in this part of the world? So I've, and I've read reports in the past where there's literally people in Facebook groups discussing, you know, what are they doing as, as part of these scams? Because it's almost seen as a legitimate work in, in, in these circles. And for many people, it is. And the reason that Nigeria is so prolific is because once they got access to the Internet, it was something where they had no access to jobs and everything. So the economy over there is extremely difficult to actually be successful. Um, some of the numbers I've seen is between ages 15 to 35, the unemployment rate is like 50%. So when you don't have the ability to go and get a job, it makes it very difficult. And again, if you think of just the human side of that and everything, we want to survive, we want to live, we want to eat, we want a roof over our head. Those are like the basic necessities of just being human. So now for a lot of the people on the ground, it becomes a, a thing where, okay, can I go ahead and do I steal money from this person in order to just put bread on the table? Or do I just not do that and try and take the hard way out? And we're wired to want to take that easy way in order to be successful. Um, I'm not going to lie, there are some actors out there who are on the greedier side of things, who see how much money can be made. Um, and especially in the universities in Nigeria, there's a whole lot of people and there's a lot of peer pressure that plays into that too. Where if you think about it, if you, again, looking at that 50% poverty rate, it's something where you have people who are like, wait, so this person over here has a really nice car. They're able to have all this money. Why don't I do that? Why can't I go and do that and everything? And they just, they're living that way. So it's something where it, like I said, becomes a, a conscious fight of good versus evil, where a lot of people are like, okay, do I steal the money to survive? Or is it something where I can go ahead and I can go have this really nice car? So it's a, so it's a very emotionally different thing that a lot of people are really looking at in order to understand. But again, it's something where that's one of the main reasons is because, again, that's just how they did that. The other thing to kind of add to that is that right now it's not just Nigeria doing this. Um, and it's something where there's a lot of other people who are doing this, too. So if you look at Ghana, for example, you have the Sakawa boys, which are the equivalent of the Yahoo boys in Nigeria. 
Um, but your Sakawa boys are also dabbling in this type of fraud as well. Um, and again, similar situation. Some of them may be greedy, but you've also got the case where some of them just want to survive. Um, a lot of your Nigerians will move to either South Africa, Dubai, um, Malaysia, or many other places outside of Nigeria in order to continue scamming. Because again, everyone knows, don't do a wire transfer to Nigeria, but there's a lot of good things in Dubai. So why don't I just do a wire transfer out there? And that's what you're starting to see is a lot of that ecosystem coming up and popping up even more. And then one last thing in order to finish that thought, because this one just popped in my head. Have you seen the article with the Italian mafia doing business email compromise? Yeah. Yes, was, yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, and all the tracking I've been doing on this stuff for the last six years, uh, the Italian mafia was not on my radar, like one bit. Like that one was like a big shocker to me, so. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Now, what's it say about this type of cybercrime when you know, some of the you know, key mafia families, it seems, are involved in this? There, you know, there was the big Europol report a couple of months ago on this. You know, I think I, I, wrote, I wrote an article on after speaking to Europol, and I guess it says a lot about the money that can be gained in this area mm -hmm. when you've got groups like that, you know, notorious crime groups, uh, which uh, are now chasing uh, uh, money uh, in, in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. And it's something where there's so much money to be made, too. And that's like I said, that's the pure problem is everybody is stealing the money and using this, but no one's actually watching to see where it goes. Um, there was another there's another instance because uh, we were talking on the, on the mafia. But there's another group called Black Axe, which is a Nigerian confraternity that has their roots going back to the 1970s. Um, the problem with them right now is that they're actually classified as a terrorist organization in Canada. And when it comes to money laundering, they've also been doing a lot of business email compromise, too. In addition to that, they also do human trafficking out of Italy. So a lot of the times when the, you have the Italian mafia and the and black acts and stuff in those areas, it's like, I wonder if someone said, hey, let's collaborate and continue stealing more stuff and whatnot. Or like, here's how we make money. If you're going to let us operate here in Italy, we'll we'll do this and stuff and whatnot. So it really makes you wonder if there was some conversation in some shady alley in the, that actually made that happen. Obviously, this is a huge cybersecurity issue and continues to be. Mm -hmm. So what needs to happen in order to help protect against it? I mean, what's something that organizations should be doing in order to help detect this? And I suppose, what should uh, the authorities uh, be doing as well? Because you sometimes see stories about arrests in these cases, but like it seems many aspects of cybercrime, there's not that many. So what needs to be done here? So when it comes to tracking the stuff, I'm aware of probably about 1,200 arrests that we've had on the business email compromise side over the years. And it's something where I'm not going to lie. Arrests are great. It's great to put cuffs on people. So any law enforcement watching this, don't come and flame me like, oh, you hate law enforcement. Complete opposite of that. Um, but it's something where with the way law enforcement approaches this stuff, a lot of these cases take a really long time. And it's something where like I've had cases where it's been like three and four years and like I'm still waiting on an arrest to happen. But unfortunately, that's just the nature of how a lot of law enforcement works. Um, the problem, though, is that we need to start speeding that up and start closing that gap. And when it comes to arresting a lot of these high level actors, it's something where we need to go ahead and be beneficial on doing that and everything. And that will actually help out. So that, so that's the main number one is, yes, we need to continue arresting the people. The second thing is education is very much a key aspect of this because it's something where, like I said, you can go and look at email gateways all day long, but it's something where you don't have a payload, you rarely have a link, and there's no malware associated with it. It's going to fly completely by your email gateways. And people are like, oh, but we do. No, no, it, it flies by your email gateways because we're so focused on the malware attacks. We're so focused on the attachments that 
it completely bypasses all that. Um, and then the third thing is for organizations to do that, tell your employees, talk with them, have that discussion with them. You don't have to be security, be like, oh, I'm going to go and wield this band hammer and throw it around and you don't do security, you do security, you do security. Like, no, have an honest conversation with it, with your employees because they're people, you hire them, they're smart. You wouldn't hire somebody who didn't do their job. So actually sit and talk to them like a human being. And by having those type of conversations and rewording it from, oh, I'm going to be throwing around this band hammer, you're going to be fired and be like, no, here's how this stuff works. This is why we need to be aware of it. And just being honest with people and stuff and whatnot. It's like, that's what we need right now is just that honesty to kind of push that forward and be like, hey, here's how this stuff works. It sucks, but here's the $500 billion of fraud that got stolen for, uh, or $400 billion rather for unemployment fraud. It's like, no one's talking about stuff like that. Well, hopefully, you know, anyone watching this will now think about uh, this a bit more and hopefully they are armed with the information required to help uh, others around them in their organisation to protect against uh, these attacks. It's been a really fascinating discussion. Thanks for joining me, Ronnie, on ZDNet Security Update. And for more information on how to check yourself from business email compromise attacks and various other cyber attacks, be sure to like and subscribe to the ZDNet YouTube channel. And of course, there's plenty of news, articles and features on ZDNet.com. Thanks for watching.